I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York. And today, in our stewed, we have the one, the only, Jessica Pimentel! Orange is the new black! Oh yeah, that's the more important part. They're both equally important. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's awesome to be here. You know her as Maria Ruiz. So dramatic, dramatic pause. <laughs> and we have so, we have both watched every episode of every season. Awesome, me too. <laughs> and it's not even like they brought in the feminists to battle each other in some kind of feminist deal. You aren't allowed to be a woman on that show without a braid. Race porn for the races. I don't want to be my manager would just call it the, you know, the prison show on the computer. We have questions, comments, oh, concerns. I'm scared. As go ahead, <laughs> just go, just go, just just get it over with. Let's go. First of all, a yes, Jessica. Yes, this show has been heralded as such a watershed moment for diversity, and for women, and for diverse women in <laughs> right. TV. People are going wild about it and i feel like there's like a lot of copycat shows finally coming out that are also trying to get on that inclusivity diversity women bandwagon that you guys really kicked off and caused a stir about Mm -hmm. but i feel like we almost take it for granted that that's what that show is known for now i think about you Mm -hmm. i was researching you and i know that you are a shakespearean actress right can't you tell (laughs) i love that and i just when I was thinking of interviewing you, I was wondering how it must have felt for you to have an agent say, all right, we want you to come in to audition for the role of a pregnant Latina in jail well, whose you, boyfriend is a drug dealer. Have you seen my resume? It's uh, Hooker, Hooker, Lady Macbeth, Hooker, Hooker, Juliet, Hooker, Hooker. <laughs> <laughs> it's par for the course of the, of the nature of the beast, you know, for, for uh, most Latinas or women of color. That's kind of the roles that are mostly available for us you know when they're looking to catch or cast a a latina it's more than likely going to be in a not so flattering role um so it's your responsibility to take those jobs if you if you get them if you feel they don't uh go against your integrity your your internal mechanics if they don't work against you if you feel that you can handle it you have to do the best job that you can and uh deliver as best as you can and try to make that character as three-dimensional as possible and um and then uh, get out there and start banding together with your other lady latinas and people women of color and women and start writing and start producing Mm -hmm. and start show running and so on and so forth so gradually these things are are starting to change i don't think there's anything wrong with taking those roles but there's the you know the the double edged sword of it is that you could get typecast, but on the other hand, you you work. So yeah. So at the outset, did you were you concerned that you were being typecast? I I felt like a lot of times those were not the those are the only roles that were available many times. You know, so there's the one hand that you don't want to do it because it's a typecast, but then there's the other hand of the the possibility of work and the connections that you're going to make 
that will help you further down the line not be that typecast. It's up to you eventually to decide what is your breaking point when you're going to play your last hook. I think I hit my last hooker last year. <laughs> uh-huh. I was sitting on the street, and it was a wonderful scene. Uh, I had two wonderful scenes with Ice-T and Mariska Hargitay. Uh Chung chung. Chung chung. And I've been on every one. I did the, You've been on every one. I pulled the hat trick of Law and Order. I've been oh. on every one. I've been a hooker every time. You were a hooker in every one. <laughs> in every, every one. one. <gasps> I killed my kid a couple of times. Oh, my Shit. God. Uh, and then I'm sitting there, you know, on the, on the street <laughs> in the Bronx. Uh, and I just hit that point where I said, I think this is going to be my last hooker. Unless there's an Oscar at the end of it. Uh-huh. Then we'll renegotiate. But uh, I think I've gotten to that point where now my final bow out gracefully with a lady who locked her children in a doggy kennel and killed them. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I remember that episode. So I think, I think that's, I think <laughs> that's going to be my, my bowing out of, of TV hookadom. So what made you decide to take this role? This was actually um, a long process. I'd gone in for several roles on the show. We didn't know very much about it other than Genji was behind it. And I love her work. I love the things that she's done. And I know her reputation. I also love uh, Jen Houston. Her casting has always been immaculate, amazing casting agent. And she kept bringing me in for stuff. But all I really knew, my manager would just call it the, you know, the prison show on the computer. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. That's really rough. And I uh, I was like, on the computer? Not even on TV? Like, <laughs> it's on the computer? That's so weird. Um, and I had been going through this audition process with another show that kept calling me back and calling me back. And I really, like, I thought I got this other show on, on a network. And the room was getting smaller and smaller every week. And then one week I come back and it's just, like, filled again. And my heart just dropped. You know, my heart completely dropped. I'm like, I've been working on this role. It's like a real person for me already at this point. It's been weeks of doing this, and now it's like I'm back to zero. I don't know if I want to do this. And during the weeks of that auditioning for the other show, they, Jen had been calling me in for other roles. And I didn't fit. I, I think you can tell from her casting, she cast the show perfectly, I think. So I didn't fit in the other roles, but she wanted me in it, you know. Uh, and I, as I'm calling my, calling my manager to tell her I needed a break, this is September-ish, uh, I needed a break, I wanted the rest of the year off, no more auditions, she said, I was just about to call you to tell you, Jen wants you to come in for one more thing, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to, it's like, for what, for, she's like, the prison show on the computer, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, great. You know, and the other role was a, a professional role. Can you say what the show is? Nah, no? I'd rather not. Yeah. It was a professional character, a professional role. I was so psyched. You know, it was like super fierce, like clean cut, knows what she's doing. She can read. She has her clothes <laughs> on. She has a skill. I was like all about it. Uh, then she's like, yeah, the prison show. So the character's name is, I'm like, here we go. Let's go down the list. Like, Maria. I was like, oh, what a stretch. <laughs> Latina named Maria. Let's go. And she's pregnant. Super pregnant. It's like, Maria, very pregnant in jail. And that's all I had. And I was like, well, my mom's going to be so proud of me <laughs> again. And it's like, uh, let's let's bring you in tomorrow at 1230 or 1220 or something like that. And I said, uh, can we make it 12 o'clock because it's my birthday month and Sephora gives me a mini facial and I don't want to miss it because I have to be there before one. Because that was more important to me than going in for another role. I was done. <laughs> like, I was done. I was completely I needed a I was burnt out. 
I was taking everything personally. You know, I went in for another role where the role said, um, character, girl, kind of fat, not very pretty, not very smart. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and I'm nice. the first person you call? Thanks. Yeah. Like, you know, everything was becoming personal as yeah. a description of me as opposed to the challenge for me as an actor to try to make that happen for you. You know, so uh, then then things start to get warped. Then you start thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Am I even good? Why am I doing this? Why do they keep bringing me in? Do they just bring me in to laugh at me? <laughs> Is it ever going to happen? Is, you know, how many more no's do you get? And I, you know, I went in and, and the, the audition was running late, of course. And I'm like checking my watch and I'm like, my Sephora facial is going to miss it. You know, and like we go in. She's like, hi, Jess. I'm like, hey, what's up? <laughs> she's like, okay, let's do the scene. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Fine. Okay. This is the script. These are the jokes. That's funny. Okay. I got it. All right. We done. Yeah. And I left. Because that's exactly how I felt. Bingo. And then she was like, Maria. <laughs> and she called me the next day, pretty much the next day. And I was working later that week. And I knew Jen, uh, Jen Houston wouldn't put her name on something garbage. And Jenji would not put her name on something right. garbage. And we heard some kind of whispers of some names that were tied. And I was like, you know what? I need the money. And I only booked, you know, that one day. It was uncertain if we were going to do more episodes. It was uncertain if I was going to come back or if I was just there for a day. But I think uh, after that, Sandy came and I I reevaluated things and I quit my job and I said, putting all my faith in this show. And that's that. Good call. And when did you <laughs> I pulled go... my last drink. I played my last hooker, I think. <laughs> I love it. I think so, too. I, I think you're in the clear now. <laughs> we're all good. Unless you want to. Unless I want to as a hooker with a heart of gold. (laughs) I was just thinking that. And when did you realize that it wasn't a stereotypical Maria in jail part? When did you realize how special, not just the show, but how special Maria Ruiz as a character I think when you get to work and you see that it's 90 women on on the call sheet. And they're all from different areas, they're different backgrounds, different acting styles, different ages, different sizes, different... I mean, we go from infant to elderly. We go from size zero to size 30. We go from uh, every country... I, I can't even name how many countries people are from on our show, uh, their background. All the continents, we hit them all, I think. I think. Maybe we're missing one or two. <laughs> no, we have Australia. We, we have Australia. Well, we'll figure it out later. No, we got, we got them, we got them. So maybe the, you know the the top and the bottom one. We don't have nobody lives there. Nobody likes it there. Once they start incarcerating some penguins, yeah, we'll we're have gonna it put some penguins in that show, and then we got it. We got it totally covered. Uh, so that's when you realize it, and then you realize uh, through the through those flashbacks or something really beautiful that you don't see quite often. Uh, and to have to have get to know these characters so intimately, and uh, aside from their from their tough jail exterior. And then to see how characters have evolved. The evolution of, especially Maria, I think, is one of the most evolved characters. Yeah. And Genji told me season one after the premiere that she had very big plans for Maria, just wait. And I was like, 
bigger than having a baby like that's that's pretty big like, well Callie and I were just talking on the way over here that really we're not gonna we're gonna very deftly avoid spoilers okay in this. but that I mean it's been out for a month Callie. it has but <laughs> at, 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 at the season five like yes. the main question that we're left with is like what's gonna happen to Maria like, exactly oh my god I'm what's so gonna play out it, it has to be a big Maria. season six has to be a big Maria yeah, season we, at least at the beginning because we don't know why you're there. The yet, consequences so of gotta... your actions haven't played out yet, and we're just all I can say is I'm sitting on episode one right now. I haven't read it yet, and I'm terrified. Uh huh. And I'm they like don't bracing, tell you, right? I'm bracing myself to read what's going to happen because anything can ha- anything can happen to any of us at this point but especially maria especially maria maria's not gonna go to the shower maria's not going near stairs <laughs> maria's not going nowhere by herself maria's <laughs> got rear view mirrors on all the time i don't know because i'm do you know the back like do you know why she's in there no. or do they don't tell you that no either? i don't Ooh, do you don't, have any so crazy. thoughts about why she's in there i think it might have to i uh, know i'd rather not I'd rather not because I'd rather be surprised if it's something totally different. I don't want to get myself attached to thinking that it's something and it could be something completely different. You never yeah, know. We get, like we know we get that... thrown for a loop all the time, you know? Yeah. Like her dad's a drug kingpin and obviously her her partner. So she wanted nothing to do drugs. with her father, so she went to another drug king, kingpin and ran away. Yeah. So like what so, one like... could lazily assume that it was. But he is a very hot. And I also so. feel super hot. So I um, sort so of see it now. He's really So fine. that totally makes it okay. <laughs> but there's also something about Maria that makes me think that maybe like Cookie and Empire that Maria's taking the fall for her family. Very, very she much so. She seems like someone who would do that. Totally. She would. I feel, as pl- uh, playing her, I feel that she absolutely would. She would take the fall for her family. She would take the fall for her brother, for her sister, for her man. Uh, absolutely, I think she would. She's so, very loyal. Yeah. She's loyal to a fault. There's also something about, at the outset of season five, when like there's just this unbelievable tension of like is there going to be a riot or is there not is something going to happen and like you don't maria doesn't even have the gun but she's got the power of instigation <laughs> yeah right? she, she learned from the best actually when we were doing that scene i i watched the scene in uh season four season uh, episode two where my father's giving a speech to the gang members and i watched that speech and tried to copy it as much as i could and use his mannerisms and his uh, choreograph ah. it to the same uh the same speech i love this i love learning how the the mode behind because that's the, the same delivery. exact thing that he did so she knows how to get an audience she knows how to get her people ready she knows how to stir them up she knows how to press those buttons she knows how to be a showman because her dad was the king you know yeah so she's it, you know when you're they say when you're backed into a corner your your first instincts come out and that's where she grew up. That's where she came from. So that came right out. Supernatural for her. She's so calculating and she's so in control that I think that the moments when Maria is emotional, like when Peppa's taken away in that scene. When I think I broke at- my toe that day, actually, on set. I kicked the wall so hard. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> my like that scene when... At the very end of visiting hours, she mm-hmm. finds out that he's not going to bring her back. Yeah. To killer. see you. That was and like my first day of work. <laughs> it like 
I felt like I was That's... being ripped apart emotionally and I'm just sitting on my couch. Good. I can't imagine how it was for you. Good. It was hard because we did so many different versions of it too. There's one that I really lost control, like a really weepy cry, whatever, weak. I say weak for Maria. Maria can't be that, you know, weepy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, then there's a kind of controlled rage. Then there was one really violent, really angry. So it was really good to see... Um, which one they choose, they picked one right right in the middle. Not too violent, not too angry, not too uh, destroyed, torn apart. Because she's strong. She's a soldier. She's a strong woman. She's not going to, uh, she's not a little delicate flower over here. But she is feeling that. And she, it's like that, they both kind of hit this apex at the same time of anger and, and confusion. And she just spent this time with her daughter. And she was so happy that he was there. Whether, we don't know what they're going through, but, you know... She's just happy to see him and thank you for bringing her. And it was such a nice time. And the mm. second, the second she's just as happy as she could possibly be in that circumstance, it gets just ripped, you know, yanked right out of her arms, literally. Um, it was really hard to do. And it was, uh, but, you know, Genji's like, just go for it. Go do you for know it. When, when they do all those takes, do, you, do they ever tell you which one they're picking no. or you wait till it comes no, out and then you find out? wait till it comes out. That must be so, so that's exciting. why I love watching it. I love watching it just like everyone else because we never know when we do many different versions, many different takes, many different angles. It all comes together in a really beautiful way because depending on who you're, who the camera is watching, it tells a different story. So, yeah, it's just as much fun for us to watch as it is for, for you guys. Do you binge watch? or do Absolutely. You... I try, like I say, every year I'm not. I'm going to wait till the morning. I get home from the premiere, whatever day it is, and I start, and then I fall asleep. I'm usually a little tipsy. Um, <laughs> I put some Facebook Live or Instagram Live last time. We were out all night. We were out to like five in the morning, and then I got home and I'm like Instagram Live. I'm like animals. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> Good night. I'm gonna start in the morning, and I just fell asleep on the couch. Woke up and just turned it right on and just ordered food all day. And I just watched all the episodes in a row. That was it. And I didn't feel bad one bit about it. <laughs> right. Do you have a favorite character besides yourself? No, they, they change all the time. I mean, I love Suzanne and Crazy Eyes. That's such I'll, a good character. I mean, she's nuts. And I feel so sorry. She makes me cry. That monologue of hers at the end of season five where she's talking about how the sky looks gray, but there's actually more sky behind yeah. it. I keep thinking about it and getting verklempt. She makes me cry. Red is amazing all the time. I mean, I love Piscatella. <laughs> I love his so I love to hate him. I, I mean, uh, he's how very could you not? hateable motherfucker. He's a great, wonderful, beautiful person, a wonderful actor, very giving, easy to work with, amazing. But uh, that character, holy cannoli. <laughs> uh, and I love uh, Caputo, Nick Sandow. Caputo. Uh -huh. uh, he's Side actually dude. my buddy in real life. He's my, my, you know, neighborhood buddy. But yeah, he's he's amazing. He's one of my favorite characters as well. I mean, there's so many good. They're all. There are so many good Leanne characters. Leanne and Angie. I mean, I count them as partners all the time. <laughs> Leangie. Leangie Le and Maritza, Floritza. <laughs> They're they're much needed comic relief. In oh this my heavy god, show. they were so they were really good in it's this. Like season. thank goodness that they were there because it was just so heavy. So that they broke up that monotony of it. And, and now they, I have feels for them too. You're like, oh no, but they love each other. They're like sisters, and they're like sisters in real life too. 
Are they really? Oh, they're awesome. They're just very good friends. They care about each other so much. And it's great that they got to translate that into real, into their work life, too. I think that's really special. Awesome. As diverse as the show is in terms of women from different backgrounds, different sizes, um, diff- so many differences and such a big cast of women from so many different backgrounds, it's gotten some... I don't know if it would be flack, but I would say feedback that people are saying, how come we never had this kind of diversity on TV before we had a show that was cast in a prison? But do you think that kicking the door open that Orange is the New Black did for us in TV land Mm -hmm. could have happened if it wasn't set in a prison? Um. I think it's great that it was. It's this petri petri dish of... uh, characters that that are in a situation that forces you to examine them in a microscopic level in a way that is not relatable to most people in a in a situation that most of us do not think about on a day-to-day basis and when we hear about these women whether they are black white latina pregnant uh um mentally disabled physically disabled we think we hear of numbers and statistics we say such and such percent of such and such people are in such and such position and it's just numbers and bar graphs and pie charts and all that but when you have a character a face a name Mm -hmm. and then you see their backstory that maybe they were defending themselves from an abusive husband and you've invested yourself in this character you know, you've invested her, yourself in the not good one, the one in jail, and then you go back home with her and see that how she got there. You say, "Oh my God, that could happen to me." Yeah, the backstories I think are so important to like making people Completely think this is a real person. This soften is real you up, life. When you see a young girl who has a very bright future that is in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she's ruined her life, and she it wasn't even her fault. You know, things that aren't even your fault. Someone who's mentally disturbed. Who really doesn't mean to cause harm. She's just really, really in love with Christopher. Oh my God, that character is <laughs> so much. She's just in love, a fool in love. And look what she does, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that she's mentally ill. Why is she in jail? She's in jail because she's mentally ill. Did she commit a crime? Yeah, but not in but her she, mind. Yeah, right? Not in her mind. You know? Do you think differently about well, the she did commit system? a crime? That, you know, she never did. Mind. She, she did. Did. She went wild. Crime. Yeah, she went a little wild, but you know what I mean. Like, well, okay, but yeah, and but not cra- in her crazy mind. eyes story. Then did she did she commit a crime? Yes, that was horrific. What happened with her backstory? Um, I don't remember crazy eyes backstory with a small the, child. The child. Oh yeah. Oh, see. oh god. <laughs> yeah, that is horrific, and that oh. could happen to anyone. I mean, there's just a story today. This family moved into a new house. Uh, they just moved in, and their two little twin boys uh, drowned in the pool. Aww. They just moved in. They weren't yeah. prepared yet to have a pool, all this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are things that happen to anyone. So are they? can they go to jail? They could. Yeah. For negligence. So that's terrifying. Do you moment. think about the prison industrial complex differently than you did before you took this role? Has it made you an activist it perhaps I mean, absolutely, uh, absolutely, because uh, you see these jails that are run like these prisons that are run like businesses. So, so basic human needs are being looked over f- to satisfy the bottom dollar, the bottom line, mm-hmm. and that is not fair. When people need 
basic things like women need feminine care products, feminine hygiene products, or, or, or just anything you need. Proper food, proper nutrition. Well, fruits and vegetables cost too much. So they get this processed garbage that is bad for them, even even worse. They did commit, a, if they committed a crime, they got it. They have their sentence, let them serve it out. They don't have to be further punished and and further uh, dehumanized yeah. in order to do so. They can serve their sentence and their sentence is be, to be away from society for X amount of time. But that doesn't mean torture on top of it. Do people just come up to you and start telling you like jail stories? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Uh, no, because <laughs> I don't start telling like, us jail stories. No. I know you so well because I see you all the time on my that TV. I get. So I that can just we get tell a lot. I get a lot of out, of out of context stuff. Like the other day, I was at Iron Maiden. And I was wearing like a really, really sexy dress, and my hair is all out, and I was in heels. And people were like, "Oh my God, you're pretty!" <laughs> <laughs> Shit. And you're like, "Thanks." <laughs> or people are like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> Like how come you're out? How come you're out? Like they really are just so surprised that I'm somewhere in the world. <laughs> like I should just be in a cave while we shoot, you know, in between shoots. Metaphorically, as well as directly, I also see it as a very feminist show because it's about mm -hmm. women struggling mm -hmm. for emancipation. Mm -hmm. Is there... Figuratively and literally. And literally. Yeah. Do you identify as a feminist? Do you see it as a feminist show? I mean, you have to, we have to... Get one definition of feminist, I think, before we can start this. My that. my definition is wanting that all people should have equal rights regardless then of gender. Then if that is your definition and I agree with that definition, yes, absolutely, I am a feminist. All people should have equal rights. Women, ch well, not children. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Women, people. turtles, all, <laughs> all human beings should have equal rights, period, regardless of their gender, race, creed, color, age sex identification and but this show really puts yes. a spotlight on all the ways in which women do not yes it does <laughs> it absolutely does so do you feel that this show has enhanced your feminism has it augmented it do you feel it's enhanced my feminism in the sense that this is the first time in my life i've been surrounded by so many women on a constant mm -hmm. basis uh -huh. as as peers and you know bosses and all that i've never had that and i i play uh music on the side and it's a very uh, man's world. Yeah. And this genre of music that we play, play heavy metal, there are very few women involved in it. I mean, there's more and more coming out now as we're as the years go by. But um, for the most part, if you go to a metal show, you know, there's no line for the bathroom. You're good. You know? <laughs> right. Man's world. Uh, but to be a part of this show and see, you know, you have the, the lady showrunner, showrunner, executive director, producer, writers, um, PAs, grips. Uh, I, I mean, every aspect is there's a woman there, uh, very well represented in our, in our in collective. And then this, the 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 cast. Sometimes we forget we have guys in this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so refreshing. Let's talk about your band, yeah. Alakine's Gun. Woo! Metal. Uh, metal. Death metal. Death metal. Extreme metal. <laughs> extreme metal, black and death metal. We just like extreme metal because we do so many different kinds of pieces of things. We come from so many different backgrounds and it does come out, so extreme metal is fine. Nancy Forgotten. We are Alakine's Gun from Brooklyn, New York. Ah!
And you've been doing this since before the show. Way before the show. You've toured the world. Yes. Not with this band, but yes, I have. And you are the front woman of a band where you are growling, screaming, and generally terrifying the audience. Yay! Hooray! I love that. I was watching some footage. I was like, damn, she looks fucking tough. I think one of my best friends, the first time we met, uh, his name is Alex. He's in a band called Silver Snakes. They're wonderful, uh, kind of shoegazy, dark stuff. He said the first time we met, he said, you are absolutely terrifying. I was like, thank you. You were like Holly Destroyer of Worlds. Thank you so much. That's that's exactly what we're channeling. I mean, all all of my lyrics are based on um, Buddhist meditations from ancient books like Abhidharma Kosha and the Lamrim Chenmo uh, meditations on Tonglen, purification, wrath, using wrath as a a way of, of purification, using pain as a way of getting to peace the darker side of a spiritual evolution. I love that. I would not have guessed that that's what the growls were doing. How do audiences respond to a woman really getting in there both thematically and performatively, confrontationally in their faces? I think hopefully we've transcended or are trying to transcend the woman, female, fronted female singer, musician, just a person screaming in your face. Um, and most people that come to our shows know what we're about, so they come open to receive that message. As the band is playing on lines that I'm not speaking, I'm just doing mantras, um, and people feel that energy. People, I need people to come, come up to a and, show and, now. and I'm we, so sold on coming yeah, to we, a show. Right you know, now. I put lay hands on people, and sometimes people cry. They, wow, they need a hug. They cry. It I gets sit, cathartic. I sit after the show also and just like hug people and talk to them, and and they they feel it because. That energy is really, really focused, harnessed. That is my purpose, and that's why I go on stage. I go there to change people. I go there to touch people. I go there to... That sounded weird. I go there to affect people, you know, and I go there to pass that message and plant, as we call planting seeds yeah. in Tibet. And you can... Bachaks, bachaks. Uh, there are seeds in your mind stream, your mental continuum that, that evolve and develop as you develop. They begin to ripen. And you're doing that... You're doing it live on stage mm-hmm. where with people that you can actually reach out and touch yeah, in real beautiful. time. But then you're also doing it on a much broader scale as Maria Ruiz, yeah. where I'm sure people come up and say, your work touched me. Absolutely, they do. I mean, one time I went to a festival and this girl came up to Maria, 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 ran up and like jumped on me and freaked me out a little bit. And she goes, I'm that baby. I'm that baby. Thank you for telling my story. Uh, she, her mother was pregnant in jail and wow. she was taken away from her mother and, uh, she lived basically that life and no one thinks about that. I mean, how often do you think about how many pregnant moms there might be? She must've had so many women. feels when she was, she was oh, like, she who wrote my dying. show? That's my story. That, that was me insane. and my mom. Wow. So, I mean, just that story was kind of worth all of it to have someone that it actually happened to. I would have cried on her. Oh, we, we totally lost it. It was great. Before we bid you a fond adieu, <gasps> oh. something that we always ask all of our guests is what you watching. And that can be books, movies, music, TV, Ooh, let's uh, podcasts. I'm going to open on my phone. Live performances. <laughs> 
We want to know what's in your pop culture world. Pop culture world. You must watch Gamora. If you haven't seen Gamora yet, it's a show from Italy. It's a mobster show. It's going to leave your mouth hanging open every episode. Where do we watch it? You can watch it on Netflix. Okay. Awesome. I'm learning so much right now. This is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Gamora. I think of of television. And you said it's an Italian show? It's in Italian. There's subtitles. I'm sorry. You're going to have to read. But... It's worth it. It's uh, it's so genius. This show is amazing. So I'm watching Gamora. I'm waiting on House of Cards because uh, my guy, my man and I like to watch it together. So we're just you wait, just you wait. I know we watched one episode and then we were on the road. So on the road we were the Sugar is his band uh, was on the road with Megadeth. So we were listening to that That's every amazing. night. I'm listening to a lot of a band called Valhall. They're from Sweden. I'm playing on their next record, playing violin actually. Oh, awesome. On one of their tracks. They're a dark wave, electro, goth band. So I've gotten to work with them. And also another band, Origin, if you like the heavy stuff. I did a track with them on their last album, their latest album. You play a lot of instruments, right? Yeah, yeah, I play guitar. I play guitar on the Alakine's Gun albums, actually. Um, But I play bass as well, percussion, violin, cello, banjo, maracas. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You yeah. basically just like put it in my hand. I got this. Yeah, I'm listening to that. Absolutely. And uh, what else? I don't know. Um, books. I'm reading um, Sentulku Rinpoche Peace, which is a great book to have on you all the time. Anything by uh, Pema Children is awesome to have. Easy read. Very quick. If you're into like science fiction, romance, there's a book. One of my favorite books of all time is uh, Einstein's Dreams by Philip Lightman. It's... Um, a collection of short stories. Uh, the premise is that Einstein is working on the theory of relativity and he falls asleep in each dream. Each story is a dream where time works in a different way. Uh-huh. Oh. And it's a couple of, just a couple pages a night. Like if you can't sleep, you grab that book. A couple of pages, for example, one is uh, if you move to the center of the city, time moves faster. If you move outside, farther away from the center of the city, uh, time moves slower, so couples in love go really far away. Oh. And like young kids want to run to the middle because they want to grow up, but sometimes you run too far and you miss stuff and you like you're old in a second. You're like, uh, fuck. Oh. That sounds amazing. And then there's another place where you don't know which is cause and effect. You know, you don't know if the guy starts drinking because he loses his job or he loses his job because he starts drinking. Uh. So there's never, no one knows the cause and effect. And then there's. Um, there's one where people get stuck in a moment forever and ever and ever and ever and they live out their moment over and over, over and over and over and Groundhog over and over. Day. Groundhog Day but yeah, everybody's in a different moment man <gasps> oh it hurts <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you I hate Groundhog Day but that's a great book like if, you, <laughs> if you're awesome. not a reader reader if you want you know if you're on the train and you get on and off a couple stops because sometimes you're like get, start getting into a book yeah. and the stop comes a couple pages, stop. you put it away, and like, hmm, and let it, let it simmer, you know, let it marinate for a little while. Uh huh. It's a really beautiful book. Awesome. So you got two, three Dharma books. You got a uh, new mob movie, new, new mob show, new mom, new show to watch, mob show, and some metal, some metal, some metal. Well, I'm loving it. Yeah. Thank you so much for this coming to our studio. I love this studio. It's fabulous. It's been been so delightful to talk to you. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens to your character. I'm so scared. I'm going to go read the first episode right now. Our fingers are... Do you have any hopes and dreams for what's going to happen? Don't die.
<laughs> I think right. we all have that same. That's hope really <laughs> every morning, every time we get a new script, I just say, don't take a shower, don't die. Hang in there, I Maria. Like, don't I'm get not... in that shower, don't die. I feel like we have, there's much more to be done and we don't know why you're there yet. So once they give your why you're there, then I'm going to be worried. Really? <laughs> then is when I'm going to start worrying. But I don't think they can kill you until we know. Why you're there. I don't know. But you I mean, know they could flashbacks. They will do that shit. They can kill me and then have a flashback. Be like, remember that girl, Maria? <laughs> but then you have to come back for the flashback. Right, exactly. So that's the thing. The beautiful thing is that sometimes your characters go away, but they come back, you know. Yeah, because yeah. Pusey came back. Exactly. And wasn't that was nice? Dead. That was so pretty. That was so beautifully done. I think that was awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so. Well. Death is not the end, as they say. <laughs> Thank you again Thank so you. much. Thank You're you, the best. So wonderful. Wonderful. This episode of Pop Tarts was produced in the Listening Booth. Check out this sneak peek of their shows, and then head to ListeningBoothMedia.com to find out more about each one. This is What's Happening Here. I'm Katie Shepard, your host, and this season... I'm Terrence Mickey, and welcome to Memory Motel. I'm Julia Bainbridge, and welcome to The Lonely Hour, which I'm producing in partnership with The Listening Booth. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi. My name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay. Now a grown woman with a supportive husband, Jillian is fine, but that comes after wading through years of pain and confusion. I had been wrestling with this because I knew in the pit of my stomach that my fetish is not caused by childhood trauma, but it felt like my own life contradicted that. Matt, who was a big talker, big personality, loved to be the center of attention, was running away from having to be vulnerable. I don't know, it's like whenever we have this like fights or something whenever I talk about this. It's like I have a shield in my hand and whenever this happens, I just put it up to protect myself. The Listening Booth. There's a story inside. Callie. Yes. We're back. We just had such an enlightening conversation. Oh my God, I love Jessica her. Jessica Pimentel. Just a delight. And a metal-ass motherfucker. Metal to the core, dude. So... I need to ask you, in all seriousness, Callie Watts, what you watching? What you watching? Well, I'm watching Game of Thrones. Are you? You're not watching it, right? Well, I will tell you this, Callie, that amid all of the Game of Thrones thieves that's been going on, I watched episode one of season one just so i could get like a hint a sousant if you will <laughs> of what's going on and i can tell you just a few impressions out of the gate there's lots of intestines in episode one and i was like i bet callie likes this show the blood spray is really good <laughs> there's so many intestines and gave me so many braid goals I have waist length hair. I want to do all the braids that I saw. Yeah. And it's, more. It's like you aren't allowed to be a woman on that show without a braid. I didn't realize that I would hear the phrase winter is coming right away. And I was like <laughs> excited. I was like, oh, shit, winter is coming, motherfuckers. And, <laughs> and then I would see what a White Walker is like right away. You know, I had one. forgotten that White Walker, because so, there's so much that happens. And then 
I've dropped in and out of some of the seasons. And so in this season, the White Walkers are back. And I was like, there's zombies in this show? I totally forgot about that shit. <laughs> and the only disappointing thing about season one, episode one, to me, was that there were no penises. Because the South Park episode where, like, there's... George R.R. R. Martin has, like, a whole men's chorus standing behind him singing the the theme song to Game of Thrones going, Wieners, floppy wieners, floppy wieners. <laughs> wiener, 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 next wiener, to wiener, another wiener. Because it made me think that there would be, like, so many wieners and there wasn't a single wiener in episode one. But I feel like if there's going to be, like, a whole chorale singing, wieners, wieners, that if I stick with it, there will be be schween the boners like the winter is coming it's coming <laughs> so now tell me what you have experienced actually being current with game of thrones okay so the the ladies are getting brutal as fuck that sounds good the ladies are running the fucking game um they are i don't really know if these are i don't want to put spoilers but they are just massacring Let's put it that way. Um, they are. The women are causing the blood spray. Yes. It, it is amazing. It's epic. And then there's um, Ed Sharon. Ed Sharon. I heard that he was on there and people were, were throwing shade. They were so mad. But whatever. Because the actress that plays Arya. I, I forget her name. Um, this one character. She's apparently a big fan. And they've been trying to get him as a guest on the show for a while now because like as a thing for her because she's such a Aww, fan. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so why not pe- people could just calm the fuck down about Step that. Step off. Step off. Um oh, there's a pirate guy in there that looks like Bam Majera from <laughs> <laughs> You know who I'm talking about, right? I know who Bam Majera is, but I know who he is from celebrity uh f- from couples therapy on VH1. Oh, he also had that show where he prank his dad. Yeah. Um, but there's a pirate that looks like him. Like, I feel like he wears all those accessories as this guy. And he has very, he just looks, when you see it, you'll be like, that's Bam Majera. <laughs> I almost like thought it was him at first. Um, but I am a little concerned. Let's talk about the show that the producers are going to be making that they just said Confederate, they're coming up. Confederate or is it Confederacy? It's Confederacy the- where the Confederates won the Civil War. And so there's still slavery in current day. Yeah. I don't think I'm here for that. You're giving it the side eye. I I'm feel giving like it a huge side eye. you just look at any Trump rally and know what that world would look at like. You don't need that show, but, you know, I'm not going to judge it until I see it. I'll wait because there are some uh, people of color writers, but uh, I don't also, think. Also, didn't Spike Lee make that already? Oh, maybe. Did he? Logan, I know there's a- Logan pointed out that there was something I think called the Confederate States of America that he made a few years ago. Is it is it is the it- comedy? Because I saw a comedy that was like if the, the Confederates had won and it was just like ridiculous. I don't know. I didn't see it. But um, I feel like we don't need white people telling the story. Okay. I feel like it's just going to be like race porn for the racists. Oy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll see, but I'm not, I, I, I can't see it going well. Um, I saw Young Amea and Nas. 
Young M.A. I think this is like the third time I've talked about seeing Young M.A. I'm standing for her so hard. And Bismarck, he was the DJ. This was a free show by Pandora Sounds at Brooklyn Steel. Did like, Bismarck sing You Got What I Need? Yes. You, you got what I need. But you say he just a friend. And you say he just a friend. And he also is the beat, the best beatboxer in the world. Nice. He could do the beat and the chorus at the same time. Do you remember <laughs> that album? It was so good. Oh. My friends have a show out, Hell Satan, um, is a documentary about their moped club in Richmond. You know my friend Jesse Kelly. Yeah. Uh, it's her moped club. It was taped like three years ago and it's just coming out now. And it's about um, my friend Pat has a skateboard park in his backyard that's like. In Richmond. Yeah, it's a skateboard park. And then in the summer, it's a pool. But um, and they all ride mopeds. And so it's like. All these homies of mine from Richmond that I don't get to see that often are in a show. It's supposed to be on Fusion, and I don't see it on no, there wait, now. No, wait. Is it a series? Is it a documentary series? What, it, what it's, is this It's like format? a reality TV show. Nice. Um, so I'm watching it on Tube. It, V-T-U-B-I-T-V dot com. And what's it called? Hell Satans. Hell, like H-E-L-L? Uh-huh. That's the name of the moped gang. Hell Satans. Yeah, and it's so weird to watch it because I can tell what, what's totally scripted and fake because it's like, well, there's my friend Travis, who I've known since college. So, I mean, I've known some of the people in the show for 20-something years. Dang, girl. And this one dude, Travis, he has a fake eye. And I remember the first time I met him, we were at a party, at like some like really grimy punk house party. And he his... He does this trick where he takes his eye out and he puts it on his dick and he like rolls his dick like into a kind of a ball. The balls look like the shell and then he tur- turtle head comes out and and his eye oh. is the turtle head. But then the, the glass eye fell onto the ground of this grimy ass party. He picked it up, put it in his mouth to wash oh. it off and then just stuck it back in his eye socket. The dude is Oof. wild. Did he do it on the show? Yes, he does it at like a party on the show. Oh. And I had been telling Camillo, you know, my, my husband Camillo about this this trick whenever I talk about my friends from Richmond. And then he was like, he's doing the turtle thing. He's doing the turtle thing. And I was like, yes, the turtle. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I'm watching that and I'm loving it and I'm missing them all dearly. Your friends sound both disgusting and like reality TV gold. Oh, yeah. They, they are amazing. I've gotten in so much trouble with Rachel. One time we were in an elevator and she had to pee and she just put her hand over the camera and peed in the elevator. And I was like, Rachel, you know that they're going to see you put your hand over the camera and then there's going to be pee all over the elevator. So there's kind of a giveaway right there, dude. Right. She's a wild card. The trailer for The Disaster Artist is out. It looks so funny. For those of you that don't know, The Disaster Artist is the movie about the book about the making of the movie The Room. Yes. The worst movie ever made, allegedly. Which is in my top five movies of all time list. And Tommy Wiseau is directs, produced, stars, and um, basically does everything in that movie. He's a maniac, and he is indescribable. <laughs> so the, doc- the, the documentary, I mean, the movie about the book about the movie looks like it's gonna be so insane and so meta 
It's got James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, and he's so spot on. I'm living for this. This is probably going to be the highlight of my year when that movie comes out. And uh, oh yeah, uh, I know that you have some thoughts. Some thoughts on Insecure. Insecure is back. Issa Rae is such a winning personality. I just want to watch her all the time. She's. I love her. But her skin is like butter, dude. Yes, but that character is a shit. He, she's a shit. She's going through it. She's she's feeling the feels and going through a tough time. I love that she went ahead and made the character not completely lovable at all. She's complex. Yeah, but like she could have since she's playing that person, she could have made it like. I mean, she's a cheater. No one wants to side with the cheater. Right. But see, season two, episode one ended with a sex scene that left me frankly perplexed. Why? Tell me everything. It was. I mean, she. (sighs) (laughs) I can't imagine that it was comfortable. I understand why both parties consented to this interlude. However, it was non-sexy sex. It was the least sexy sex I've ever seen on TV, I think. Yeah, it was just like, I'm just going to smush it in here and dip. Except for maybe the room. But yeah, all right. The room does have... The least oh, sexy sex of for all time. of you who haven't seen it, they in, in the room, um, there's a sex scene that they reuse three times as if it's a different sex scene, but it's obviously the same sex scene because the girl's makeup is the same as the first time. But it's different when she goes into it the other two times. And it's like roses inexplicably in it. You're like where the roses come from. The roses come in later in the movie. Right. It's just they, they shot one sex scene and used it for every sex scene. Now, I don't want to besmirch the sex and insecure because the people have these these uh, very attractive bodies. That Oh, that man ass. That there man ass some, was a toned ass man ass. Steak. To take a moment and enjoy. I I don't want to besmirch the butt steak, but the (laughs) sex act itself is awkward to say the least and and sort of uh, concerning. Yeah. I mean, there was no there was no foreplay. It was just it was like a nature special. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. We'll see. It was sort of like a handmaid's tale type of thing. Sex yeah. where you're just there, but you're like n- not there for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I love the neighbor character that was like, "Put some lotion on your ankles." She's just yelling <laughs> from the doorway. <laughs> I love that one. Um, yeah, but that's what I'm watching. Awesome. What you watching, Callie? One thing I was watching, I was like, oh, I have to wait till the podcast to tell Callie. Okay, so you know how, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 came back? Yes. And so there's new episodes. And one of them that I was watching since the last time we spoke stars Mariska Hargitay's parents. What? Both of them. I know that you love Mariska Hargitay on Law & Order. You know, I live. Special Victims Unit. Her parents were both movie stars. Uh, before her mother passed away. And so her her father, uh, Mickey Hargitay, was a bodybuilder. Oh, I think man. German. And 
Her mother, of course, is the incandescent Jane Mansfield. And they starred opposite each other in a terrible movie called The Loves of Hercules. And it's on, it's on the new Mystery Science Theater 3000. And you can watch the little robots make fun of it. But you can also watch her parents at literally the height of their mutual gorgeousness, being in love, staring into each other's eyes. Of course, Mickey Hargitay plays Hercules. And then Jane Mansfield plays this beautiful princess. And they're like, not together. But then they are together, but then they're not together. And they gaze longingly into each other's <laughs> eyes. And this and the is gaze the is the real gaze. Yeah. And so like you can see like, oh, he looks like Mariska Hargitay. Oh, she looks like Mariska Hargitay. Oh, they both look like Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> and um, it, you just feel the feels because it's her parents in love before they were separated cruelly by death. Oh. Yeah. So there's that. Then I watched on YouTube, I was watching this 2002 documentary series called Masters of Darkness. As far as I know, there was only four episodes. Rasputin, Alistair Crowley, Marquis de Sade, and John Dee, who was Queen Elizabeth's personal magician. Um, Want to see that. <laughs> the one episode that I was watching was Marquis de Sade. For those of you not familiar with him, the term sadism was named after him because he, like, invented it. <laughs> like, he, he was basically jailed for being the perviest perv of all time. He just maniacally wrote, like, the most perverted things he could think of constantly, all the time, until they threw him in jail, and he never stopped writing. And all of his works are, are just, like, about very violent sex acts and every possible permutation that you can imagine. And it's considered literature. It's also porn. It's also disturbing. And so he was in, he was being covered in this 2002 documentary. Here's why I wanted to bring it to your attention. There was not one, not two, but three heavy hitter feminists as talking heads in this documentary. And it's not even like they brought in the feminists to battle each other in some kind of feminist steel cage match. No, <laughs> they each had their own individual interviews that were interspersed in there. I would say like the main people talking about Marquis de Sade and his work were feminists. You had Andrea Dworkin in there who hates Marquis de Sade. She said she doesn't care what he wrote. She, he's nothing more than a pornographer and that he should only be judged by what he did, not what he wrote. And before he was imprisoned, he frequently would uh, buy the services of prostitutes and assault them. Oh. And so he should only be judged by that. And as, a common pornographer and not as an artiste and his well, work should not be Well, pornographers can be artistes. I will disagree with her there, <laughs> but... Well, she's very anti-pornography and she's very... As like, a former pornographer, you... I'm insulted. <laughs> but as a feminist, I'm still insulted. But you can't beat up uh, assault prostitutes. That's right. just... That enough. was like his bag. And then you had... But uh, I guess then she's probably one of the people that are like... You can't separate the art from the artist. Can't. She's an anti-porn feminist, and she felt that his work was trash. Well, I mean, like, uh, you can't... She doesn't care what he wrote because she cares what he did, so she's probably... Right. Like, fuck some Phil Spector. Well, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the second feminist was historian Francine Duplessis Gray, who wrote about Desaad. And she found, you know, she wanted to point out that, like, 
back then during the French Revolution, prostitutes were sort of on par with animals and like people just sort of did what they wanted to them and it was a different time. And she was also talking about the subversive humor that you could find in Desaad's sexual imagination because it was so outlandish. Like the things that he would come up with were so absurd and bizarre that there's a humor to it that she as a feminist historian enjoys and appreciates. And then the third feminist and my personal favorite of the three is Camille Paglia. Oh, I know that she's going to have something to say about this. She's got, you know, she's a pop culture feminist after my own heart. And she, she was really focused on how Desaad's writing betrayed all of men's deep obsession with being emasculated by women during the sex act. And all of this imagined violence of his was a psychological attempt to battle the fear of being somehow castrated by the sex act. Huh. So she was getting into it about how all of his sadism was really a mask for his latent masochism. And he was just as much the the victim in his stories as he was the persecutor. I can get that. I'm I'm feeling that. I was not expecting like this show to be bringing up so many conflicting well not I, I mean they weren't really in conflict but you know differing feminist stances on it. Yeah, it was awesome. I really want to watch it. This might actually be my favorite pop culture nug of the week. I was listening to, uh, I've mentioned this before, Janet Mock has an amazing podcast called Never Before. Yeah. And I was listening to an interview that she did with Gabourey Sidibe. Love and her. There are so few women of size in Hollywood. And I feel that when they're interviewed and the, ish, the issue of being a woman, in size, woman of size in Hollywood comes up, there's sort of some tap dancing around it, but not in this interview. Holy shit. Like, I stopped in my tracks. I can tell you exactly where I was when I heard this part of the interview. I was standing in front of Dwayne Reed on 3rd Avenue and 14th Street, and I just had to stop and, like, lean against the wall. It took my breath away. This is this is what Gabourey Sidibe told Janet Mock. I wrote down the exact quote because it was, like, so major. She let her rage fly and it gave me life basically there was just a very sort of open-ended question about how she was treated by the press after she made precious and was nominated for an oscar and she said i never wanted to talk about my weight because people will comment like uh she's promoting a really unhealthy lifestyle she's promoting being fat and beautiful and that's not true and that's really unhealthy and I was like, I am promoting a movie. Ha! I'm promoting a TV show. I'm not telling you what to eat or what not to eat. Because the honest truth of it is, I have had several trainers throughout my life. I've been on every diet throughout my life. I know what I look like. People pretend that they care about my health by calling me a fat, disgusting bitch. You do not care about my health. You are just a giant, gaping asshole. And you <laughs> think that you have an opinion about me. But this is my body. I'm not out here in these streets right now writing think pieces about how your dick is too small. Oh my God. Fire! Yes. Hallelujah and amen. Oh my God, I love it. <sighs> Gabrielle Sedebe, where have you been all my life? She's a. She was promoting her new memoir, and now I have to run out and get it. Yeah. Give me chills. And that, Callie, is what I have been watching. Woo! 
I would like to thank our producer, Rachel Withers, who's just the greatest producer that is happening to us. Yeah, and us, and both of us. Um, I'd also like to thank our pals at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, Katie Shepard, and Chris McLeod, and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can email both of us. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. I'm Callie W at Bust.com. And you can find out more about us and our work at Bust.com. And finally... Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Mwah! Mwah.